Well, good morning. It's good to uh, have all of you who uh, are joining us in person and those of you who are uh, joining us uh, online. So uh, let me ask you a question. Have you, have you ever had, uh, think of the last moment where um, something just violated your sense of justice. Uh, maybe it was an individual, uh, may, maybe it was something else that uh, went on. All right, so like, just think about that for a second, like, right, because that happens to all of us, right? Um, there was a thing that happened uh, years and years uh, ago around here. It was uh, back in uh, 2011. It was uh, after the shooting uh, with uh, Gabrielle Giffords uh, here in Tucson. And, and if you recall, there were a number of uh, victims in that. And one of them was a nine-year-old girl. And when they were getting ready to do her funeral, uh, like a day or two before her funeral, there was a group um, uh, called Westboro Baptist Church. Uh, I forgot what state they were in. We're going to fly here and protest her funeral, which... When I first heard it, I was just like, I, I, don't, I don't even know what that would look like. Like, what do, you, what do you mean? Like, it would protest a funeral and why? And it came from the, just these weird, super uh, hyper-legalistic beliefs that they had. And they, like, they wanted to make this statement. And, and everything I read was just awful. And they were going to come and pick it and have this, make this huge display. And all we could think of is just like, like how hurtful this would be to that family, to, to her family that would have to, you know, in the funeral processional, everything that like to see this. And so there were a number of churches that decided uh, we're going to have people and maybe some of you uh, were there for this. We're going to go and just, we want to just be a physical barrier between that family, uh, like when they're getting out of their cars and into the church and the processional and from this group of people that want to protest this. So the family never even has to see them or their picket signs because they were horrible, some of the things that they wanted to write. And just like it got under my skin, like this sense of injustice as it did many uh, people in this. Um, and I recall the day that uh, we went down there and like I said, it, it, there were a number of churches and, and Christians that participated in this. Um, and as we got down there, uh, we found out that at the last minute, uh, some of the folks from Westboro Baptist decided not to do that. Um, and, and when they decided not to do that, there's like kind of a strange thing that happened in me that I didn't pick up on right away, but kind of just processed a little afterwards. And it was this, I, I actually felt a little disappointed, which Right? You say like, okay, so that they don't show up. Like, that's a good thing. This family doesn't have to deal with it at all. Like, 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 this is a good thing. And yet there was a part of me that was like a little disappointed in that. And it's like, like and so I kind of asked my question. Okay, so like, why do I feel disappointed uh, in this? And honestly, it, there was a part of me that I realized that... Um, I, I wanted some of those folks from Westboro Baptist to, I wanted them to experience um, someone else like picketing them when they were going to go and picket. Like I wanted them to, I wanted them to have to pay for kind of the pain and stuff that they had caused. I wanted them to feel kind of the wrath of some other people and just that sense of just, you know, I want them to feel the, you know, all the things, the statements that we would make like against them in all of this. Um, but if I'm real honest also, it's like, isn't that 
kind of what they were doing. Like there was something that they felt righteous about or justified in. And, and like, and they were like, they were going to, they were going to drive their point home in the same way. Um, now, it's not a question of right or wrong in the sense of like, I still think that like what they were doing was wrong. And I still believe that, that everyone that showed up there that day to try and minister to and protect that family were doing the right and good and beautiful thing. It's just somewhere there was a part of me that wanted them to have to pay for some of their actions and past actions. They protested a lot of funerals of soldiers that had come back from the war that had died and stuff. And, and, and suddenly there was like something that became a little bit more important, if that makes sense. Like I made something the greater thing that really shouldn't have been the greater thing. And that was like, I had this personal sense of I wanted them to just have to pay for some of the hurt and pain that they had caused. Yet in doing so, I was beginning to be a little bit like them. Like, uh, like I joke about it, but it's kind of like in a weird way, I could have looked down and said, well, gosh, I'm wearing you know, a Westboro t-shirt today out here. Like I'm, I'm behaving a little bit like them. Um, and in doing so, making that the greater thing than even ministering to that family. Not that I would have recognized it in the moment, but that's where my disappointment was. And there's this truth that came out of it that I realized, and, and it's this, I'll, I'll put it this way. When the wrong thing becomes the greater thing, it's easy to act like the thing we hate. Let me say that again. When the wrong thing becomes the greater thing, it's easy to act like the thing that we hate. And part of it's just because we're human beings. Like there's, there's that sense of, of justice or injustice gets triggered in us uh, at times, right? How, how many of you, uh, may, maybe there's a number of you that like, I don't know, like growing up, there was something your parents did and you're just like, I will never be like my parents, right? I, like, I'll never be like that. And in your commitment to never be like your parents and like the strength and that you've brought to that, you realize like, I'm actually kind of being a little bit like my parents in the way I'm doing it. Yeah, that, that happens. Or, you know, as simple as just being in traffic and there's somebody who's not paying attention and they're always in this fast lane and they move over and they, they cut you off and you just like, so help me if I get a chance to get in front of you, I'm like, and it's, you know, and you will move in front of them in a way that makes a statement about, because why? Well, because they need to be paid back for the way they've been messing up the flow of traffic for the last five minutes, right? We feel, or your kids are acting up and, and you just find yourself acting a little bit childish, like your kid, because so that they, you know, so that they can experience this a little bit, right? There's just, there's this part in all of us that at different moments, we like, we can kind of get pulled into that thing. And so, uh, here we are as human beings and all of us are going to have moments where we get irked about something or maybe at a deep or very personal level uh, we feel wounded or there are values that we hold so dear that we feel like have been valued or maybe it's just our sensibilities and there will be this part in us that wants like we want the offender to be paid back for their wrong in some way. It's just the danger in that, in that moment is 
it's highly likely we can start to become like in some way the very thing that we despise and not even realize it. So how do we, how do we live and not compromise our values or our convictions and yet live it out in a way that doesn't make us into something we don't want to become? I think Paul gets to the end of this chapter, right? We've been going through this uh, chapter 12 and we're gonna close out that chapter here. And I love how he closes this, this out because he's been talking about genuine love through this whole thing. And now in the most practical of ways, it, it's like he's gonna help us with this kind of this last challenge and help us um, that if we can hear what he's saying, not to become the thing that we would despise, but actually find a way to lovingly live out our values in what we believe. So I, I want to I walk through this passage today and look at it as kind of a path for how to move forward, even when our sensibilities of, around values or being wronged uh, uh, gets uh, activated in some way. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 12. And, and let me, I'm going to do this while you uh, turn... Uh, there. Let me, I'm going to give you a definition for a word here um, that we find in this text, and it's the word vengeance, right? And th there's all these emotionally charged things around the word vengeance when we think about vengeance. Um, but you know, at its simplest, when you look at the language that Paul uses here in this passage a couple of times, uh, it, it literally means this idea of retribution or payback, um, sometimes punishment. So I want to give us a working definition of of this. And, and I just, um, I want to give it to you before we read the passage so that you can think about this as we walk through the passage. Um, and it's this, satisfying a wrong that needs to be paid for at its simplest. And, and, I, and I get revenge can mean all of these other things, very emotionally charged, but it's at its simplest. And as we think about this this morning, just think of vengeance as this, satisfying a wrong that needs to be paid for. Okay. So look with me at Romans chapter 12, and we're going to pick it up in verse 19. He says this, uh, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Um, so uh, he walks through this passage and, and there's kind of like three parts to this that I want to just unpack uh, here in how we can move forward in those moments where we're just, we get activated in some way, but we don't want to become the thing that we hate. So the first one is this, and, right, and, he, and he says, don't take vengeance, right? That repayment thing, don't take that, he says. So here's the first point, don't avenge yourself. Don't avenge yourself. Now, quick caveat here. What he's not talking about is this idea of that when we see things that are unfair or wrong or that, that need to change in our culture, that we wouldn't change them. This is not a statement of just, hey, you know, if, there, if there's things that you see in your community or in your family or in your culture, don't change them, just leave them bad. Like, and he's not saying that, right? This, this is about payback. Don't get in the habit of, of payback here, is, is what he's uh, saying here. Um, and he gives us a reason why here. 
And the reason why is really simple. And he says it in this first verse. He says, it's mine to avenge. There may be something that needs to be paid back in some way. You may have rightly seen that, right? When I think about what uh, Westboro Baptist has done, I like, I, and again, uh, not trying to be self-righteous here, but I, I believe what I believe. I, I think some of the things that they've said and done are bad and are wrong and I want it paid back, right? But what he's saying here is, Glenn, it's not yours to pay them back in this. And, and let me illustrate why, right? As he talks about it's mine to avenge. Here's an illustration that I think captures this. So uh, years and years ago, a lot of years ago, when my son Chandler was just a toddler, right? Um, we went on a family vacation in the Bay Area and we were in San Francisco and, you know, we were just tourists doing the touristy thing, going to a bunch of tourist shops. I can't remember what part of, of um, San Francisco we were in. And we're going into these shops and they had all the knick-knacky doodad things in them, right? All that stuff, all that, all that stuff. We're going through those shops and I'm a dad with a, with a toddler. And, you know, and toddlers, you know, Chandler's like, ooh, let me like, you know, and you're just like, no, don't grab that. Don't touch that, Chandler. Don't. Chandler, like, look at me right now. Don't touch that. And he's like, okay, dad. You know, like, you know, I'm just like, oh, man. So um, we go along, we go into this one shop that you could tell was a little bit uh, higher in. And the, the, the doodads they had were, you know, doodads. Right? They're a little more expensive. They even had a sign out front that said, you break it, you buy it. You know, and I'm like, okay, so Chandler's, we go into this store, no grabbing, touching stuff, right? So we go into the store. Guess what Chandler wants to do? He, just, he wants to grab stuff. And at the end, there were these like hand-blown glass, like ornament things or doodads, right? Right there. Real pretty, real shiny. And Chandler, you can just tell, he's like, whoa. And before I realized it, he's back there. He hadn't grabbed any of them yet, but he was ready to. But it also just happened that the uh, shopkeep or the shop owner or whatever, this little fuck, was sitting back there on a stool. And he sees Chandler, you know, eyeballing these hand glass blown things, right? And all of a sudden I hear the shop owner um, and he's like, Hey, you know, don't, don't touch those. I, you, children shouldn't be touching these things. You, and then he goes, and you, you should learn a lesson here in this thing. And I'm like, well, okay, let's just, now, you know, I'm the dad and I'm walking back there and I could see it in his eye. Now, he didn't slap Chandler's hand, but in his heart, he sure wanted to. You know, he's, it's like, you know, he's just, if Chandler's going to grab that thing, like he was ready to and I remember experience, like I went from the, like, I'm the bored, tired dad that just, can we do something other than go to these kinds of shops to the, you know, I was filled with energy and just like, cause why? Cause that was my son. And it's not like, I mean, it, Chandler was probably getting ready to grab that and shouldn't have, right? It, it's not like the, the owner of the shop was wrong. It's just like the thing I wanted to say in my head was like, okay, this may be your shop. Those may be your glass blown doodad things or whatever. It may be your sign, your policy. But Chandler Luke Bartow is my kid. And if there's going to be any disciplining of my kid, it'll be by me, not you. That was the thing in my heart, right? Let me ask you, parents, ever have a moment where someone other than you wanted to discipline your kid and you're just like, uh, what are we doing here? Like, I'm the parent in the, right? Because it's not their place. 
And the point wasn't whether the shop owner was right or wrong about whether or not Chandler had or was going to do something wrong. I could agree with him on that, right? But it wasn't his place. And I think what Paul is getting at here in this moment is God, right, has created a world in which every human being is an image bearer of him. And when it comes to to image bearers of God, um, having to pay something back for a wrong that they have done in, in this way, that belongs to him. Not me, not you, right? He's, he's saying that, you know, satisfying a wrong, that's up to God. That's God's domain in all of this, which, which right then leads us in the most practical of ways, just like two things that come out in the passage here that he points to, and I love this. So he says this, look, look back at 19, he says, leave room for God's wrath, right? right? Leave, and, and wrath here, just you know, again, a lot of emotional energy when we think of the word wrath here. But just think of it in the simplest of terms is, is uh, it, it is whatever is the appropriate disciplinary uh, or payback action that needs to be taken. That, that's God's. And what he says is leave room for God's wrath, right? which means two things for you and I in this. In those moments where we feel that, like that that wrong that maybe was done to us or that someone is doing, um, we've got to let go. And again, and I, I want to emphasize this, this is not saying be passive about things that should change. This is, this is not saying we shouldn't worry about the marginalized or the hurting or Uh, making our culture better. We need to do those things. That's a loving thing to do. But payback, making someone pay for their wrongs, we need to leave room, we need to let go of that and let God have that. The other thing that that means is I've got to trust God. When he says vengeance is mine, I'll repay. I've got to trust that God knows what is best. So like when it comes to the Westboro folks and all the things that they're doing, um, I've got to let go. I've got to let go of those moments where it's like, but, but I, I want them to experience the pain. I want, they, they deserve to dot, dot. It's like, I've got to let go of that. What I've got to do is I've got to decide how I will show up in love or not show up and how I will give the rest to God and let God be God. Um, And then he moves forward in this passage. So there's this part that we've got to let go of and trust. Um, And then he gets to verse 20 and and he gives us kind of that next step in the path. So as we have to let go of something, like there's something to hold on to and move forward. Look at at verse uh, 20 with me. He He says this, he says, on the contrary, on the contrary, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals onto his head. Now, oftentimes we read that last part and we're like, aha, see, we're supposed to be nice, you know, on the front side of this. But Paul gives us that, you know, that way to swing around and, you know, um, 
you know, stab them in the back or there's a way to manipulate them into that shame and guilt. That's what we're going to do. And it's like, no, when he says in this way, you will heap, you know, burning coals under their head. This is not just here's the Christian way to get back at someone, right? That's not what he's getting at here. And sometimes we miss that. Um, here, here's the thing that he's getting at that's super important. In fact, this is the most important point to me this morning that, that I want to spend most of my time walking through in this. But, but it's this. Um, I think he wants us to realize what our real power is in this. And, and that's my point. Recognize your real power. He's pointing out something here that is super powerful. So this idea of those hot burning coals, what he's getting at here is uh, a particular type of transformational change. He's using this imagery that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. This idea of burning coals, uh, sometimes fire, um, it oftentimes gets used to describe a kind of transformation that is purifying in this or a non-reversible kind of transformation or change. A couple examples of this. Uh, in the Old Testament, we have the example of this with Isaiah. He has this vision uh, that God is walking him through and um, uh, God has these seraphim, these very special angels. They take these burning coals just like this and they touch them to Isaiah's lips, which Right? We look at that and say, man, that would hurt really bad. But it's like there's no pain involved. He doesn't scream or yell. It's, it's this imagery that is this idea of these burning coals, how they're purifying. And Isaiah actually experienced it as, as this positive thing, that God can purify him and that God can purify the nation of Israel. Walk them through this kind of deep purifying transformation. Uh, you see something similar in the New Testament when the Holy Spirit comes. There's this moment when the Holy Spirit comes uh, for the first time and resides with the church that is there. And it is this profoundly transformable moment uh, in the church when the Holy Spirit comes and abides in the church and comes in the form of fire, right? And not just, uh, you know, fire, but it actually divides up in these tongues of fire that actually rest on top of everyone that's in the church uh, in this uh, room. And they don't, it's not like all of a sudden they, you know, running around screaming with their hair on fire, right? It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing because it captures this image of God's purifying transformational power in this. So catch what he's saying here. There is a way you can show up in these moments that holds this kind of power. You have real power in this moment. And it's more, more than just winning them over with kindness. I, I think that's maybe why Paul does this. Uh, you will see things in the New Testament about being kind to someone, being kind to your enemy, and that it can win them over. That is a wonderful thing, right? Um, it, he's not saying that's bad and don't do that. It's just, I think there's something more, right? You can be kind to your enemy. Like you can extend a olive branch. You've probably done this, uh, right? How many times have you ever been in a situation where like there was a, something heated that happened between you and someone else and you're just like, okay, I'm gonna be the bigger person here, right? And the next time you see them, you know, in the, in the coffee room, at, you know, at, at where you work or something, like, you cross the room and you say something nice or kind to them, right? You extend the olive branch. And sometimes it just has, like you win them over. They're like, oh, 
Like it, it just cools everything. It's wonderful. Other times they take your olive branch away from your hand and they poke you back with your olive branch, right? You've probably experienced that. It, it doesn't always work. You don't always win someone over. What he's getting at here, though, I think is something deeper. That this idea of this transformational thing, like these burning coals, that it, that, that's not just winning over, but transforming. And it's this, okay? Understand what, when, when people are violating something, when Westboro even uh, pickets uh, funerals and, and has this horrible, hateful speech or these sorts of things that are happening, this comes out of a world uh, view or a, what I'm gonna call a worldly faith system that actually fuels vengeance. Right? It actually, because when something's unjust, it, there, like there's this energy that rushes into it. We all feel this. And it's fueled out of this sense of a kind of scarcity, a scarcity that we need more, that we need more things, that we need more power, that we need more acceptance, that we need more love, that we need more control. You, you take control away from somebody in our culture, right? And we all feel it. That lack of control, they, they will instinctively try and step in and hold on to power or control. You say something that diminishes a sense of their uh, uh, dignity. Like, we, we react to that, right? And someone does that, like, they should pay for that because, like, that is not okay to steal that away. And we, we live in this faith system that operates off of that need. When something unjust is done, it should be paid for, right? So I want you to think for a moment in, in our world where, where that kind of faith system dominates. When someone comes along who has been wronged or their sensibilities have been violated and says, you know what? I can give you more. You may have taken something from me, but I can give more. I can give you grace. I can give you kindness. I can give you tangible things to help meet your needs. Do you understand what a powerful statement that is? You become a living, breathing example that even in the face of something being taken away from you, that you, you still have everything that you need, right? That violates what we understand in, in our worldly view of things, right? That what you're actually, you're becoming a living, breathing example that in Jesus Christ, you have enough love. You have enough uh, grace. You have enough acceptance. You have enough, free, you have enough of all the things that you need that even if something unjust happened to you that took that away, you still in Christ have more than enough to be a whole person. So much so, you have room to give more away. That breaks a worldly system that operates off of this kind of scarcity that we see. I mean, that's powerful. You're, that, that is breaking the thing that some people are basing their lives on in this thing. That can change someone. What Paul is saying here is, you have power in this moment and your power is not in trying to exact payment back from them. Break Break their whole paradigm of how they view faith. Be an example that in Christ, you are filled with such love that they can, 
They're, they could not take so much away from you that you are still not okay and whole as a human being, as God's creation in faith in Christ. That's powerful. That can change things. That is why. That is why I think he, he spends uh, practically an entire chapter teaching on what genuine love is because friends, that's your superpower as a follower of Christ. That is, that is where you have the power to make a difference in this world in a profound way. In my uh, now decades of being a pastor, I have come to believe more and more and more the thing that our church and every church needs to do, the thing that we, the gift we can give one another into this world is to be churches that help all of us more profoundly understand and live out of the acceptance and the freedom and the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. The, it is not the shallow thing. It is the deepest thing. And our world needs it and we need it because the more we operate out of that, the more we are less likely to become like the things that we disdain in this world. Paul's, he goes so far as into this thing. I, you see it even play out at the beginning of this passage. Remember verse 19, I read uh, the thing where he says, uh, do not take vengeance. And then he says, my dear friends, don't take vengeance, my dear friends. That word, uh, dear friends, uh, some of you may have, it's, sometimes it's translated uh, beloved. Uh, it gets translated different ways because it's hard to capture it. Like the word friends in Greek is not actually used there. Um, uh, the Greek word literally is agapetos, agapetos. Take a wild guess at what the root word for agapetos is. Agape, agape, which if you don't know this, is uh, out of all the Greek words used for love, agape is the deepest level of love. What he does is in this moment when he says, don't take revenge, it's like in, the, in that same phrase, he takes the deepest, most powerful word he has for the essence of unconditional, godly, grace-filled love. And he turns, it into, he turns it into the label, into the salutation of how he will reference you and me. Because in Christ, that's who you are. It's your superpower, see? And then he ends with these words. He ends with these uh, words that are uh, uh, so powerful. He says, look at verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He ends this chapter and it's like he's walked us through what genuine love is. And it's like, okay, so like, you're gonna see evil. You're gonna experience evil in this world. But don't respond to it in a way that accidentally has you behaving a little bit like the thing that you detest, right? Instead, you have this superpower that can actually overcome evil in a way that this world doesn't have, right? You have that. And, and here's the point. Point three in all of this is this. The power of love protects us from becoming what we hate, right? Because the power of love protects you from becoming overcome by evil. It, like it, it, it renders it powerless in your life. 
great example of this. You know, I, I've, I've talked a bunch about the Westboro Church. Um, I recently uh, saw, it wasn't an interview, uh, it was a member of the Westboro uh, Baptist Church uh, was at a, and I forgot the university, but did this lecture and then a Q&A, and it was about her story in this. And it was her grandfather that established and pastored the Westboro Baptist Church for decades decades and decades, starting as a little girl, she went out and held those picket, sign, picket signs that said the most awful things, uh, the most awful, vengeful things uh, to people that caused so much pain. And she described how she always saw that as being the loving thing to do because our, our revenge, our judgment, those harsh things we were saying, we were letting people know how God really felt about them. We were opening them up to their chance to make it right with God. And she said, I always thought we were doing the right thing in what we were doing with that. And she said, when Twitter came in on the scene, she said, and she was getting to be a little bit older, um, uh, she took on this campaign on Twitter for Westboro uh, Church uh, to actually kind of extend this messaging through Twitter. And, and as you can imagine, 99% of all the messaging they ever got back on this was just attacking them back, right? Because in this world, right? If you get attacked, you attack back. If someone takes from you, you make them pay for it, right? That, that's, that's that faith system we work off of. But the interesting thing was, every time that happened, to them it only validated how righteous they really were. And she said, but there was this one tiny group of people on Twitter that didn't ever respond back the same way. They actually responded back with grace and curiosity and questions. They never got rattled. They always, they always had compassion. And that was the thing she didn't understand. How could these Christians, these other Christians that were so wrong about their faith, because they believed that like, their beliefs about the Bible and about faith were the only right ones. And, all, and, and yet there was this group of Christians that kept responding unrattled. And that became the thing that rattled her. That they were so whole. And that like she, like, and it opened her up for the first time to begin questioning what she was experiencing in Westboro Baptist Church. And that was the thing that actually led her and one of her sisters out of that church. And part of the reason she was giving this lecture is because after coming out of it and seeing it, what she is spending a vast amount of her time, her and her sister doing, is trying to love and create healing for so much of the pain that they caused in all of those years. Talk about the power to change. I wasn't going to change anyone at Westboro. My, like I wanted them to pay. I wasn't using my superpower. I just, I was mad, right? And I think I, I, and I, I, think I was right. I think, I think my opinion of what they doing was right. They were wrong. They shouldn't have been doing that. But you know what? That's beside the point. Because it's not my place to enact whatever payment needs to be paid back spiritually by all the pain that Westboro Church has done over the last several decades. 
I want to. But they're not my child. They're God's. My job is to let go of that. My job, your job, is to love them out of the fullness, out of the vastness, out of the unending compassion and grace and love that you and I are filled with daily by our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we love them out of that, it's like we break the paradigm that has such a hold on this world. That's our real power. And may we understand that power. And instead of becoming more like the world, actually break the hold that that paradigm has on the world and let God be God. That is the beauty of the church. So I'm going to close this now. And those of you who have joined us online, so good to have you. And those of you here in person, great to have you. Um, and those of you here in person, I'm going to ask you to stand and uh, I'm going to just close this out uh, here this morning in, in prayer. Let me, let me, let me pray. Father, we just, uh, we thank you for what Paul wrote in this chapter, and we thank you for the challenge. And what we ask is, remind us, as we get hooked in that, that sense of, of rightness that needs to be paid back, empower us to let that go and let you have it. And remind us of our real power in your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.